Okay, so um, first it was a scandalous text, right? Ehud, that's all I need to say. Second, it was a scandalous message. We went to apostolic fight night between Peter and Paul. Justification by faith versus justification by works. Justification by what Jesus has done versus justification by what you do. Justification received versus justification achieved. And that was Galatians 2, 11 through 16, a scandalous message. Then last week, it was a scandalous life, <laughs> right? Some of you still haven't recovered from that. I've talked to you, I know. It started with a weak woman who's really strong, a prophetess named Deborah. It continued with a weak man who's really strong, a man named, a warrior named Barak. And then it ended with a strong man who's really weak, Sisera who was defeated by a weak woman who was really strong, Jael, right? Uh, that's Judges 4 through 5. Just a side note, because I've talked to so many of you that are struggling with Jael, right? Here's what you need to know about Jael. You need to hear Joseph's words to his brothers. This is how you interpret Jael. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God overrides us. God overworks sin. So when you wrestle with Jael, he overrode, he overworked. He always wins, even over our sin. Okay, today we're back in Galatians. We're back, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a deeper dive into the scandalous message, this justification by faith. And so we're going to be looking at Galatians 2, uh, 17 through 21. So we're going a deeper dive into the scandalous message. And this is what we're asking of the text. This is what the text is asking of you. How do Christians grow? How do Christians grow? How do you become a healthy Christian? How do we become a healthy church? Now the attempt to answer this question, <laughs> it began a long time ago. I think it began right after Cain tried out his new MMA moves on Abel. I think that's when it started, and everyone started asking, how does a life change? How do we grow? How do you be a healthy Christian? How do you have a healthy church? Since then, there's been wave after wave after wave of attempted answers. How do you grow as a Christian? Well, here's how you grow as a Christian. Here's how you be healthy as a Christian. Here's how you be healthy as a church. There have been endless answers, encyclopedic answers. Libraries are full of attempted answers to this question. So this is the question we're asking. How do you grow as a Christian? Attempted answers have produced traditions, denominations, movements, theological systems, seminaries, bestsellers. Famous pastors and Bible teachers. This is the question we're asking. How do you grow as a Christian? Attempted answers have divided churches, split denominations, bankrupt seminaries, fired faculty, wrecked church leaders, ruined pastors, broke down almost every relationship that can happen in the community of Christendom. It doesn't matter what your theological stripe. It doesn't matter if you're an evangelical, reformed, a Catholic, neo-Orthodox, a mainline Protestant, an Eastern Orthodox, a fundamentalist, a liberal. 
doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal, charismatic, or non-denom. Attempted answers to how you grow as a Christian have devastated everybody. This is the question we're asking. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you become a healthy Christian? How do you become a healthy church? Attempted answers have failed. Attempted answers have made things worse. Attempted answers have led a mass exodus from the church. Attempted answers have spun people into spiritual depression. Attempted answers have thrown people into counseling and long-term recovery for the rest of their lives. This is the question we're answering, we're asking. How do Christians grow? Attempted answers have produced unhealthy Christians and unhealthy churches for over 2,000 years. Toxic, metallic Christians and churches, angry, controlling Christians and churches, super saint, superior Christians and churches, defeated, depressed Christians and churches, relativistic, self-indulging Christians and churches, unfruitful and ineffective Christians and churches. This is the question we're asking this morning. How do you grow as a Christian? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to look at Galatians 2, 17 through 21. Now, last week, we went through two chapters, and nobody thought I could read the scripture that fast. This week, I'm luxuriating in the text, man. I'm lying a soak in the text. We're going to have a nice, gentle, slow read. But if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For... If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. Why? So that I might live to God. Listen, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm going to give you Luther's translation, which is the literal translation. You ready? I live, but no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Love that translation. And the life I now live in the flesh. Whoa, wait a minute. Is Paul about ready to answer the question? Is Paul about ready to tell us how to do the Christian life, how to grow in the Christian life, how to be a healthy Christian in church? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would grant clarity to our minds. You grant the reality of your word to our hearts. So, oh, Lord, do what your word says, even now for us, right now. And all of us would say glory, glory to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so this is what we're asking. How do Christians grow? How do you become a healthy Christian? 
How do we become a healthy church? How does any church become a healthy church? First, here's what we need to do real quick. First, whatever the answer is, don't miss who Paul's talking to. Do you see this? Paul's writing to Christians. Paul's writing to churches. Paul's writing to pastors. Paul's writing to church leaders. In other words, he's writing to anyone who wants to grow in their relationship with God. He's writing to anyone who wants to grow in thinking rightly and clearly about who God is and what he's done. Anyone that wants to feel deeply in their experience and in their relationships and all of life, the realities of who God is and what he's done. You got that? Anyone that wants to rest and rely and rejoice in God, he's writing to you. He's writing to anyone who wants to grow in the Christian life, anyone who wants life change, anyone who wants to be holy and walk in the spirit, anyone who wants to be about sanctification, anyone who wants to follow God in this area of your life and that area of your life, anyone who wants to love God more and love their spouse more, their children more, their neighbor more, the annoying jerk more. He's writing to anyone who wants to be used by God. Anyone that wants to participate in God's break-in of grace and mercy into this world. Anyone that wants to lead a Bible study in a community group. Anyone that wants to aspire to be an elder or a deacon. Anyone that wants to be a church leader. Anyone that wants to be a missionary to China. Anyone that just wants to reach China Springs. In other words, Paul is not writing to the unchurched. He's not writing to the unbelieving person. He's not writing to the skeptic. He's not writing to the culture. Does he not want them to listen in? Of course he wants them to listen in, but he's not directly writing to them. He's writing to you, church, church leaders, pastors, Christians. And whatever, whatever the answer is to how you grow as a Christian to be a healthy Christian and a healthy church, whatever the answer is, don't miss why he's writing to you, why he's writing to Christians, why he's writing to pastors and churches and church leaders. The answer is to help you grow, to grow you, to make you healthy. That's why he's writing. He wants you to be healthy and grow in your relationship with God. He wants you to be healthy and grow in the Christian life and what's called sanctification and really finally becoming yourself a human being. He wants you to grow in loving one another and loving God. He wants you to grow in trusting God and relying upon him. He wants you to grow in building your messy life around him and all that he's done. He wants you to grow in participating in what God is doing in the world in a genuine mission. He wants this for you. This is why he wrote this. In other words, Galatians 2, 17 to 21, Paul is not writing so that you and I sing certain kinds of worship music. He's not writing to promote a new bestseller on how the world ends and how Biden's to blame. He's not writing to inspire cultural activism with a new, with a new theory on social justice. Paul is writing this passage to grow you, to make you healthy. That's why he's writing it. 
So if you're tracking with Paul right now, right? We just read this. If you're tracking with him, you're thinking this. I was thinking this. I'm like, if this is why you're writing it, and yet we look at 2,000 years of church history, if Paul wrote Galatians to make Christians and churches healthy, better yet, if God wrote Galatians to make Christians and churches healthy, then why are we so continually confused about how to grow in the Christian life? That's the question. And Paul says, exactly. I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready, Paul says. Verse 17, but if in our, en- but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, you know what's happening there, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, he's basically saying, look, If we're building our messy lives around justification by faith, if we're building our lives, learning to build our messy lives and relationships and churches and communities and the way we handle money and the way we parent and the way we do marriage, if we're learning to do this, if we're learning to build our messy lives around justification by faith or Jesus and his salvation, and while we're doing that, look at verse 17, we too were found to be sinners, but while we're doing that, we discover ourselves still to be sinful. While doing that, we discover ourselves still to be messy. While doing that, we discover ourselves still to have original sin in us. If while doing this, we still discover that sin terrorizes us. If that's the case, do you see the question? Look what he's asking. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Is Christ the promoter of sin then? Of course not. says. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's applying theology to your life right now by asking this question. He's making you ask the question. He's making you think it out. He's making you push it around in your mind and push it into the realities of your life and your relationships and church and your heart. He's doing the drama of doctrine for you. He's trying to make something clear to our minds and real to our heart. Here's what he's doing. Does justifying sinners make Jesus a servant of sin? He's saying, think about it, does it? Does justifying sinners make Jesus a servant of sin? Of course not. Then what does it do? If it doesn't make him a servant of sin, what does it make him? Answer, the savior of sin. The savior of sinners. Jesus is not a pretend savior, Paul is saying. He's a real one. He's a real one for messed up Christians and messed up churches. He's a real one for those who have real sins in real relationships in real life. In other words, Jesus is a real savior for the darkness in you that you can't control. He's a real savior for the anger and the bitterness within you that you can't control. He's a real savior for the lust within you that you can't control. He's a savior for the lack of love within you that you can't control. He's a savior for your lack of faith in you that you can't control. You have a real savior, Paul is saying, not a pretend savior. And Paul is saying, think about this. Think about how true this is. Now, though, you do have a pretend Savior if we do verse 18. So let's look at it. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What does this mean? 
Here's what it means. Paul is saying if Christians or churches start with justification by faith, they start with Jesus and his salvation, but they do not continue to build their messy lives and their relationships and their churches and their communities and their parenting and their marriages around justification by faith to grow as a Christian. So let's say they start with justification by faith as a Christian, but they don't then continue to grow deeper into justification by faith as a Christian. Then what happens is, is they start rebuilding their life around justification by works. They start rebuilding their relationships and the way they do their work and the way they relate to their money and the way they think about church and the way they do ministry and the way they do culture. It just happens if you're not, if you're not going deeper into justification by faith. You start there, but you don't continue with justification by faith as the food that makes you grow, as the engine that drives your life, as the thing that makes you healthy and a church healthy then what happens inevitably is you start rebuilding your life, rebuilding your relationships. It's instinctive. It's natural. It's what we do around justification by works. Or we build our life around justification by what we do, our performance, what people think of us. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And this, Paul is saying, is the real sin. This is the sin behind all sins. You know, there's always presenting sins. Oh, I lied. And then there's a deeper sin that's the source or the engine or the root of that sin. And what Paul says, I'm telling you now what the deeper sin is for all sins in life. Justification by works. How are we, why are we so continually confused about how to grow in the Christian life? Because we keep rebuilding our lives around justification by works, not justification by faith, according to Paul. And the fact that we keep doing this proves verse 17. It proves that we're still sinners. It proves that we're still messy. It proves that as the psalm and hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It proves that what Jesus is doing is that he's a real savior of real sinners. It proves the scandalous message. The scandalous message is God's not justifying good people. He justifies sinners. He justifies the wicked. He justifies the ungodly, and we just can't live with those two simultaneous truths. He loves me, but I'm evil. He justifies me, I'm righteous, but I'm wicked. At the same time, and Christians for 2,000 years haven't been able to deal with this. And when we can't deal with it, we naturally, by proclivity to original sin, the heart of original sin is we start building our life, rebuilding our life, what was originally tore down, Rebuilding our life around justification by works. This is why we're so confused in every generation about how to grow in the Christian life and how to be a healthy Christian. This is our deepest problem. This is behind every broken thing in our life. Building a life around justification by works instead of justification by sin is behind every sin. It's like when a pastor uses the church 
to be important instead of serves the church because he already is. Justification by works instead of justification by faith, building your life around that is behind every sin, like when your identity takes a hit because you failed, like when your identity takes a hit because so-and-so doesn't like you, because your identity takes a hit because the inner critic in you keeps criticizing you. And what do you do? You do this. So because that's going on, because that's going on, you try to escape into an addictive substance. Because that's going on, you turn yourself into a victim. Because that's going on, you kick the dog. Building a life around justification by works instead of justification by faith is behind every sin. I'm going to step on some toes right here. Just a warning. Like when a culture must tell you what to believe. Why does that happen? Like when a culture cancels and a culture condemns and a culture is high on the drug of self-righteousness. Outside the church and inside the church. The heart of it all is rebuilding a life around justification by works, not justification by faith. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you become a healthy Christian? By going deeper and deeper and deeper into justification by faith. And what Paul does next is he says, you don't believe me? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to unpack the wonders of justification by faith right before your eyes. I'm going to take you folks at Galatia and you pastors at Galatia and you pastors and church leaders in Galatia are so confused about how to grow in the Christian life and so confused about what makes you healthy and so confused about what makes your church healthy. And what I'm going to do, my answer to you is, I'm going to preach justification by faith to you. I'm going to reach you with a present power that you can't stop. Paul's answer is consistent. Justification by faith. Justification by what Jesus has done. Justification that's received, not a justification achieved. Do you see that? Do we see that? Do we feel it? Do you rest in it? Do you rely upon it? Do you rejoice in it? Does it fill you? Does justification by faith fill you? Does it fill you with the Holy Spirit? Does it produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does justification by faith like awash you in the love of God? Does it capture you with his mercy and his heart for you? Does it energize you and electrify you? Does it free you from the fear of human approval? Does it free you from addictive substances? Does it free you from all the anxieties that you want to carry? Does it make you secure? Does it make you safe? Does it make you bold and brave and courageous? Does it 
free you to finally and fully be yourself and to build an identity around that. Does it? That's what Paul's asking. Because that's what does. Justification by faith. The ancient church, the old church, the classic church used to say things like, what we're looking at right now, a church either stands or falls on. Which you could say a Christian stands or a Christian falls on. They would say things like, wherever this doctrine, wherever this wonder of the gospel is recovered and reclaimed, in fact, you can look at church history, whenever it's rediscovered, whenever the next generation is going through the Bible, maybe you had to read it in the original Greek because their translations were horrible, whatever it was, when they rediscovered it, it was like, why haven't we heard this before? This is too good to be true. And a revival breaks out. Call it the Reformation. Call it the First Great Awakenings. Call it a Scottish revival. Call it the Princeton Prayer Movement. Is justification by faith the present power of God for you? Does it make you grow? Is it what you look to to be healthy? That's the question Paul's asking. And so what he's going to do right now is he's going to do it for you. Look at this. Listen to the present power of what Jesus has already done for you. Look at Galatians 2, 19. Here we go. He's unleashing the gospel on you. You can't hold it back. For through the law, I died to the law. Done. You see that? For through the law, I died to the law. Done. So that I might live to God. Done. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Done. I live. Done. But no longer I, done. But Christ who lives in me, done. Do you notice no one's doing anything except Jesus? And the life I now live in the flesh. Okay, here we go. All right, Paul. All right, how are we going to do this Christian life thing? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. What? Wait, wait. I, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I trust in the done. And somehow in trusting in the done, power. Somehow trusting in the done, you're finally yourself. Somehow trusting in the done, you're freed from self-indulgence. Somehow trusting in the done, I love people. Somehow trusting in the done, I don't think about myself. Somehow trusting in the done, actually like become a decent person because trusting in the done I stop being a jerk because trusting in the done is everything this is the most self-absorbed text in all the bible do you see that these two verses it's the most self-absorbed text i in me is used over nine times in two verses do you see that that's phenomenal like you want to be about self-absorption, you go to this passage. You want to think about yourself, man, you go, to, you go to Galatians 2, 19, and 20. But it's also the healthiest text in the Bible. It's the most self-absorbed text. Simultaneously, it's the most healthy text concerning I and me and self and all the Bible. I want you to listen to it. Why is that? Because of what has happened to the I or me nine times. Because what has been accomplished for the I or me nine times. Because of what is done for the I or me nine times. 
This is how Christians grow. Right here in this text, how do you grow? You go deeper into what already has been What do you do? Believe in the done. But I got to do something. Yeah, that's called salvation or justification by works. It'll wreck you. It'll wreck your relationships. It'll wreck everything you touch. But what do I do? Jesus told his disciples. Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? What's the work we do? And he goes, do you really want to know what the work is? Trust me. And if you trust me, you know what happens? You really genuinely do finally work. You rise from the ashes and you actually do something that means something. You no longer build an empire to yourself. You now live in the kingdom of God. William Cooper was a dear saint. Dear saint from the past. His pastor was John Newton who wrote the most popular song in human history, Amazing Grace. Nobody doubts that. He was also, John Newton was also William Wilberforce's pastor who single-handedly ended slavery in, Egypt, uh, in England, uh, Egypt, from Egypt to England. Cooper wrote poetry and hymns like his pastor. Newton wrote poetry and hymns. So they both wrote them together. They would share them and send them back and forth to each other. And this process was one of the ways that uh, Cooper would process Jesus and his salvation or justification by faith. It was how he did theology, and it was also how he survived. Uh, Cooper struggled with debilitating depression his whole life. He didn't have a happy ending. On his deathbed, the doctor, uh, a guy named Dr. Lubbock, he told him, this is one of his last words, I feel unutterable despair. A biographer said of Cooper's mental health, mental health is in great measure the gift of self-forgetfulness. And Cooper had a hard time forgetting himself. The only time he forgot himself is when his self was in another. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body I live by faith in someone else. There's someone else who loves me. And there's someone else who stood in for me. Justification by faith gives you the gift of self-forgetfulness. This morning, you can have the gift of self-forgetfulness. You can push aside all the energy that you take in life and I take in life of constantly thinking about ourselves or constantly thinking what other people think about us and finally be free from thinking about yourself because someone else stood in for you. Justification by faith gives you the gift of self-forgetfulness. How? Because you're already dead. How else does it do it according to this text? You're already dead. For through the law, I died to the law. Done. You could also say died to sin. Done. Also say died to death. Done. You also say died to the evil one and accusations and condemnation. Done. It also, 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Done. You're already dead. You are the freest person in the world because you've already died. 
Also, justification by faith gives you the gift of self-forgetfulness because you're already alive. You're already someone incredibly new. For through the law, I died the law. Done. Why? So that I might live to God. Done. I have been crucified with Christ. Done. I live. Done. But no longer I. Done also. But Christ lives in me. A new done. So you don't have to think about yourself anymore. Justification by works, all it can do is think about itself. All it can do is feel itself. All it can do is build a life around itself. All it can do is pull everything into the orbit and the cosmos of self. If you want to be a self-absorbed person, build your life around justification by works. As a Christian, too. As a church, too. Justification by faith is not justification by works. Justification by works is always asking, how am I doing? How do I feel? I'm lonely. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm depressed. I'm, 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 I'm. Justification, justification by faith means you don't have to think about yourself anymore because someone else stood in for you. You're dead to the law. You're dead to sin. You're dead to death. You're dead to the evil one. And you're dead to any elementary power out there that wants to bully you. You're dead to them. And you are alive to someone else and you haven't done 